Hi, I'm Wendy Merchant, founder and executive director of STEM Blazers, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. STEM Blazers is a nonprofit organization that works with middle school and high school girls to inspire them to visualize themselves in science, technology, engineering, and math. Today's episode is hosted by Madison and Katie Fur, and they will be speaking with Patricia Garcia. Patricia is an engineering student and entrepreneur who shares her academic experiences across various engineering industries. As you will hear, Patricia is highly self-motivated, which has proven to be challenging at times in balancing her cultural upbringing as a Latina with family expectations and academic opportunities. Patricia also provides her insight as a college student and discusses the integral role of having mentors and resources to elevate her higher educational experiences. Patricia has accomplished quite a bit in such a short amount of time, and she is now working towards her PhD and launching her startup called College Thrifts. Patricia is an incredible young woman, and she inspires our hosts, and I know she will inspire you as well. I hope you enjoy their conversation. All right. Hi, everyone. I'm Madison, and I'm a STEM Blazers alum. STEM Blazers has given me countless opportunities and limitless encouragement to develop my confidence and professional relationships. I now volunteer with STEM Blazers as I pursue my college degree. Hello, I am Katie Fur. I was in the South Metro chapter for the school year of 2019 to 2020. I am volunteering with STEM Blazers as a take a gap year. STEM Blazers has opened up so many doors to girls, including myself. I am excited to be speaking with Patricia today. Hi, Patricia. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. How are you guys? I'm doing just fine. I'm doing good, too. (laughs) So we'll jump right into it with our first question. Patricia, when you were younger, what did you want to do and what did school look like to you? So when I was younger, something I I look into a lot, I have this book. Um, where in fifth grade, I wrote what I wanted to be in. I think at that time in fifth grade, I wanted to be an actress. It says to be an actress and the most famous on Disney Channel. And obviously, <laughs> that didn't happen. Um, but this is fifth grade. So my transition then 6th to 12th grade was a bit different. So from fifth grade going into sixth grade, I went to the only single gender school, the public single gender school in Miami-Dade County, which had a, a focus on technology and leadership. And then from that time, that transition from fifth to sixth grade was obviously really transformative and going to called Young Women's Preparatory Academy in, in Miami, going to this school, there's no limits to what you, you want to pursue. And especially with this um, emphasis on technology, every girl, sixth to twelfth grade, gets a MacBook upon entering sixth grade and then the following years. And that was my first real introduction into what technology was and the career opportunities that were available within that space. And obviously, the, the teachers and the professors at, at Young Women's were very encouraging and really wanted us to pursue these careers instead. So from that time in middle school and then well into high school, I went 6th to 12th grade there. I kind of knew I wanted to then pursue something in technology. But as the years went on, what that looked like changed a bit. That's great. Um, I also went to a school that focused on math and science, so I can definitely resonate with the how incredibly transformative it was to go to a place that encouraged you to look into those subjects. Yeah. Um, Patricia, how did you get to where you are now? So definitely not alone and not by myself. So I got to where I am today because of the assistance of a lot of individuals who were, who were able to assist me. So I... 
look back and I think I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't have gone to MIT, spent the summer at MIT or gone to Berkeley if it were not for the resources that were at my disposal. Uh, looking back, like obviously the my ancestors and those who came before me didn't have access to the same opportunities that I have today. So I've kind of felt that it's my my obligation to kind of make up for whatever they, all the resources that they didn't have access to. So I'm where I am today and about to finish my engineering degree because of the, the mentors and the, the opportunities that have presented themselves. Um, but that's not to say that there hasn't been a lot of self-motivation in going about and being a part of all these activities. If there's so many opportunities that are available out there, but if you don't have the motivation within yourself to seek these opportunities, then these opportunities will continue to be out there. And it's it's untapped opportunities. That I think a lot of folks um, maybe just lack that self-motivation to have that in that mindset of it's out there and if you want it, you can get it. Mm-hmm. So the self-motivation, the mentors, um, and just the access to resources have been have played an integral role in getting me to where I am today. And I think it's really clear how self-motivated you are in particular. Um, can you talk a little bit about all of the different things you've done from when you graduated high school to where you are now about to graduate? Sure. So as I mentioned previously, I, the school I went to had a, a strong focus on science, technology, engineering, and math. And I was first exposed to the world of, of research um, and academia when I was a, a junior in high school. So junior year going into my senior year. So uh, they offered this research program at the University of Miami. So the, and I think they might offer at institutions across the United States, but that was the closest university to me. It's the Howard Hughes Medical Institute High School Scholars Program, where you participate in a research project uh, throughout the course of the summer. And that was my first exposure into research and academia. And from then, I, I didn't know a world other than research. So every summer after that, I spent it in a research lab. So before I started at my current institution, Florida International University in Miami, I flew out, I think I was 18 at the time, to Worcester Polytechnic Institute, which is a small engineering school in Worcester, Massachusetts. And there I worked on engineering cardiac scaffolds for tissue regeneration. And obviously I was one of the younger ones in the program. I had just graduated high school. I had not starting, hadn't started college yet. And I started to realize I was interested in this area of research and exploring these new areas that hadn't been explored yet. Because when you're in the research lab, you're more than likely exploring new concepts that haven't been explored yet. And that time at WPI was quite revolutionary for me too. WPI is about a two hour drive, fairly close to this school in Cambridge that goes by the name of MIT. And during the 4th of July, I uh, stopped by, uh, because Worcester is somewhat in the middle of nowhere. So I, myself and the other girls in the cohort, we we drove out to to Cambridge. And I remember walking into MIT and obviously being a bit starstruck, like this is the MIT that everyone talks about. This is where the, the best of the best come to. And I remember walking into there and thinking, I hope one day I can come and do something more than be a tourist and walk around here with a camera <laughs> around my neck. And then the following summer I had the opportunity to do just that. So I, after the summer at WPI, I went over to MIT and I worked in the mechanical engineering department, um, engineering 3D skeletal muscle tissue. And it was a really, really nice experience, obviously, to get to say that I was able to spend some time at MIT and take advantage of all the resources that are available within that community. And I kind of continued on that research track as I continued my undergraduate studies. So following my time at MIT, I spent the summer at UC Berkeley. So this was my first time on the West Coast, 
very different than the East Coast. I really like California, San Francisco, Silicon Valley. And there I worked um, also in the mechanical engineering department. The program I was a part of was a joint program between UC, UC Berkeley and Tsinghua University, which is a leading engineering school in China. So my roommate, uh, both of my roommates were from China. And I remember um, I had uh, the notepad that they gave me. It said like Tsinghua Berkeley Shenzhen Institute. And I guess uh, Tsinghua is the equivalent of MIT over there. So when they saw that, they were like, whoa, like you're doing a program with this school, like a joint program. I was like, yeah. So I was able to explore also, in addition to my time in research, a lot of cultural intersections. So when I was at Berkeley, I lived in an international house. I, I got to engage and interact with people from all over the world. And obviously this was before COVID. So that was a, a transformative experience that I got to, to have um, before the, these COVID times. And in addition to the work I did in the lab at Berkeley, I I had an idea for a startup for some time, but I, it's not to say that the entrepreneurial community in, in Miami is not as broad and, and big as it is in Berkeley, but, or in Silicon Valley, but being in San Francisco and Silicon Valley, I kind of build up the courage uh, to pursue my entrepreneurial venture. So in my time in research, I was also able to explore different areas. So I did work in the, the lab from nine to five, but uh, I was also able to tap into the entrepreneurial community at, at Berkeley. Although I had a great time at Berkeley, I, I realized that before graduating college, I, my, one of my goals was to experience an industry sort of internship. So I had spent all my time in academia and working in these research labs, but I wanted some industry experience. So uh, unfortunately, it was online due to COVID, but I uh, wrapped up a, a summer internship at uh, Medtronic last summer. I worked remotely for the Brooklyn Park site in Minnesota. And there we were working on some, I was working as a manufacturing engineer. And yeah, so my journey as a as a, a woman in STEM, as, as an engineer has taken me to quite a lot of places. And just as the opportunities were there for me, they are available to everyone. You have amazed me. I can't, <laughs> you have done so much. Um, I would like to ask you, how has your own culture played into your journey in pursuing a career in STEM? Yeah. So as I look back, I, don't, I guess maybe not directly as a woman in STEM, but just as an individual who comes from a Hispanic background, obviously leaving and going away um, is something that in a Hispanic family is kind of frowned upon. So my mom is Cuban and my dad is Nicaraguan. My, my dad, for the most part, has been you go off and spread your wings and do as you please. Whereas my mom has been a little more on like, are you sure you you want to leave? Like even now while I'm here in Boulder, she's been like, are you sure you could just do the program at home? <laughs> um, but those cultural, that cultural upbringing of being close to home and staying close to family because they need you or they, they want you definitely was quite difficult in the earlier times as I was trying to navigate what I wanted to do. Um, so out of high school, I had a full rights scholarship to go to George Washington University in Washington, D.C. Unfortunately, my mom became ill at that point between my junior and senior year of high school. But thankfully, she's doing well now. But I remember um, during that time, she tried so hard to convince me to to stay, to go to the, the local school here in Miami. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to go and explore the world and explore this opportunity that, that was given to me. I wouldn't say unfortunately, but I decided then that I because of my mother's illness, I would stay home and go to the state school. Um, but I do remember uh, before I had made that decision, she tried really hard to to get me to stay because it was so far away because she didn't want me going so far away. I don't, and I think that would have been no matter what degree I was pursuing, that would have been just as close as you are to home, the better. Uh, but then as a woman in STEM, 
I think my mom, I mean, my parents would have been supportive of me in, in whatever I, I would have pursued. Um, and I don't think, because I remember from fifth grade to sixth grade going to a single gender um, education, I was made fun of a lot in fifth grade. Um, but I don't think my mom put me in that school with the intention of, oh, she's going to be an engineer and STEM and whatnot. It was just like, this is a really good school and sixth to 12th grade, it's really small. We'll see what, what comes out of it. And then that kind of just paved the trajectory for me moving forward. But yes, uh, for the most part, I, I saw reflect now, like I go to FIU, it's the, I think fourth largest university in the entire United States. It's a pretty big school, big commuter school. I didn't have, I would say the traditional college experience. I did live in the dorms for about a year, a year, two years. Uh, but being going to school in your home city and your hometown is a little bit different than going away. But I think like looking back, I everything I've been able to accomplish and everything, all the opportunities that have come my way, I don't think they would have maybe had I gone to somewhere else. So that was something I struggled with early on. Like, what if I would have gone to DW? How different would my life be or would I have been able to accomplish more? But I think that that can be pretty consuming at times. So I think coming to terms with where with the fact that you are where you need to be and that's all right is has kind of gotten me through that rough past my freshman year when I was asking myself those tough questions. Well, and it sounds like it kind of worked out in college for you because you got to take the summers to go to right. a whole bunch of different places all around the U.S. Um, so even though you were home during the actual school year, you got to, you know, see a whole bunch of other places that you maybe wouldn't have had the opportunity to. So that's really cool. Yeah. I think I recommend that to others too. Like if you're interested in, pursuing a graduate education because a lot of these programs were mainly geared towards uh, students, individuals who'd want to get a PhD. And obviously to get a PhD, you need to have some time in research to get into a competitive PhD program. So if you are even considering that, these summer programs are called the research experience for undergraduates. They're really amazing programs that allow you to go experience different universities and see if maybe in pursuing a graduate degree that you would be a good fit here. So I definitely recommend those, those different programs, whether you stay in your hometown or you go somewhere else for school. All right. Thank you, Patricia, for answering those first few questions. We're now going to take a quick break and then come right back for some more questions. Sounds good. Hi, it's Wendy. Are you enjoying the STEM Blazers podcast? We would love to have you rate and review this podcast and help us grow our audience to reach more listeners. Another great way you can support us is to get your STEM Blazers podcast swag. It's so cool. Just go to www.stemblazers.org, select store at the top, and you can get your mug, beanie, or sticker. For our listeners, use discount code STEMFREE21 for free shipping. That's S-T-E-M-F-R-E-E-2-1. Thank you for helping us spread the word and supporting this podcast. So at UC Berkeley, you worked at the Mechanical Engineering Department and the Berkeley Sensor and Actuator Center. Can you tell me about what you did there? Sure. So as I mentioned previously, the program I did at Berkeley was a joint program between Berkeley and Xinhua. And I was specifically working in the, the center, that joint program between Xinhua and Berkeley. And I was working on designing and developing a sensor to detect pressure changes in the radio artery. So because of this joint program with Xinhua and Berkeley, the motivation or the background information that we were developing this project on was based on traditional Chinese medicine. So for example, in traditional Chinese medicine, the way of approaching medicine is very different. So like if you can 
place your, your two fingers on your pulse, on your radial artery. Uh, that could tell a doctor um, if you have underlying conditions or not. So at Berkeley, I was working on designing this sensing system and this sensor that would be able to detect these pressure changes in the radial artery. Uh, throughout my time in all these research projects, I have had a, a big biomedical focus on a lot of the projects that I've undertaken. So this was the, the last, my last time in research. And I thought it was extremely cool to see that cross collaboration between a school that wasn't in the United States and seeing how tradition and how history can affect the research that you're working on at whatever given time. My previous research experiences were not a joint collaboration with other schools, especially not schools overseas. So this specific experience was extremely rewarding and being able to work with people from all around the world on one project and different engineers was also extremely valuable. I think this specific project, I remember I was working on more of the designing of the sensor and developing the system, but there was chemical engineers working on designing the substrate for the sensor. So I got to see firsthand that specific summer, how different disciplines and different engineers can come to create one final product. So I'd walk over with the, to talk to the chemical engineers to see what it is that they were working on. Or I was just curious to see because chemical engineering and chemistry is not my strong suit, but it was interesting to see what other people work on, what their day-to-day life is. So that was an extremely rewarding research experience. Sounds like a super cool project to get to be a part of. Um, yeah. Can you tell us about what are some transferable skills that you have and why it's important to have transfer transferable skills in STEM fields? Yeah. So when I was applying to a lot of my industry internships, I realized I obviously, since these were my first industry internships, I didn't have any previous industry internships. So I was needing to transfer a lot of the skills I learned in the research lab to these industry interviews or to these um, industry positions. So obviously working in the research laboratory, like I mentioned, you learn how to work with other people who are pursuing degrees other than the one you're pursuing. Uh, You learn how to uh, provide project updates in timely manners. Like for example, usually for every research program, you have a final presentation to give at the end of the summer. And that consists of an oral presentation and a poster presentation. So you need to make sure that you're keeping up with your milestones every week, which is not to say that you will hit all those milestones every week. At Berkeley, especially when you're working with living organisms, I mean, at MIT, While I was working in the lab at MIT, I was working with live cells. So it's a little more difficult to stay um, on track when you're working with living organelles because you don't know, maybe they might die before your next experiment. You have to start over again. It's a lot more difficult depending on the area that you're in, but you gain all those skills that are extremely transferable. And I guess as I went into the industry, um, into industry working at Medtronic as an intern, a lot of the, the stuff that you see in research, you also see there. So for example, in, in research, you're following the scientific me- method, where maybe in, in industry, you're following some of the Lean Six Sigma methodologies, which is for the most part, the same thing. So you want to define your problem, you want to measure, you want to analyze, which when you look over the scientific method, it's the same thing. You want to develop your hypothesis, you want to see how you're going to test it. So I saw a lot of overlap between my time in academia and research, and then my transition into industry. Can you tell us more in depth about your startup? Sure. So my startup right now, titled College Thrifts, on currently in a rebranding phase, a unicycle. Stay tuned for that. Um, kind of a joint term of university and upcycling. 
But it started on my journey to get a PhD. So every summer I spent on all these institutions of higher education, I always wanted to buy a sweatshirt or a hat to take back home just to commemorate the time that I was at these different schools. But when you walk into any bookstore, everything is like $60 for a hoodie or $30 for a sweatshirt. And the average college student can't afford that with the rising cost of tuition, room and board and other expenses associated with it. So I decided I was going to come up with a solution for that. So College Thrifts right now um, is in the works mobile app development phase. I had planned for a, a launch in, in May. We'll see how that goes. But essentially, the idea is think Tinder for collegiate merchandise and higher education networking. So if I'm graduating now from FIU, and there's an incoming freshman who wants to be able to rep their FIU and rep their institution of higher education and can't afford to pay $30, $50 for an item at the bookstore, I can sell my gently used collegiate gear to them and also in that process offer, offer some sort of mentorship opportunity. So I'm graduating on my way out. I don't want all this gear, but there's an incoming student who would probably want to rep this gear and could benefit from my experiences as an undergraduate student and whatever I do next in my life. It's Basically, I did a lot of research on it too. So research has shown that when students are able to rep their institutions of higher education, they're, they perform better academically. They are more involved in extracurriculars, but how can you expect someone to do that when the price is at the bookstore or anything brand new is simply expensive? It's unsustainable when you're, you're buying. I mean, if you can afford and you're buying 50, 60 items at the bookstore, you don't need that many items. It's, it's unsustainable, all against going against fast fashion. So in addition to creating... Uh, this platform, we're also addressing various United Nations sustainable development goals focused on climate action, focused on economic development, sustainable cities. So we're tackling a couple couple different issues with what I'm working on now, and hopefully it'll be up and running soon so everyone can, can benefit from it. There, We are on Instagram, um, so the prototype is somewhat made. So if, if you're available, you can definitely check that out, college underscore thrifts. Um, and yeah. That's super cool. What an, what an interesting combination of solutions to like a whole bunch of different problems. I, I think that's a really incredible um, solution. So are you planning on rolling that out at um, FIU first and then go, moving on to other schools? Great question. So it to some extent, it kind of has been rolled out. So if you go on Instagram, the MVP was I needed to understand first. This is a bit of a business lesson here in entrepreneurship <laughs> and, and I guess some STEM. So I needed to understand if there was the students really had this problem. I knew I had the problem, but before I went and invested all my time and possibly money into this, I needed to understand if students were actually facing this issue. And I started off by selling the gear I had in my room. So my plan, I guess sixth grade maybe was to go to the University of Miami, but only because, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Justice, the, the clothing store. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. So I guess depending on where you live, they had collegiate merchandise, I guess, depending on where you are. So they had University of Miami gear and University of Florida gear. And I really like the orange, orange and uh, green color from the University of Miami. So I had so much University of Miami gear growing up. And I was like, I'm at FIU now. That's kind of a rival school. So I want to get rid of it. So I created an Instagram page. I kind of posted the stuff on there and that kind of took off. So people were really interested in buying generally used collegiate gear at a fraction of the high bookstore prices. And once the pandemic came around, initially I had a lot of folks asking me, oh, can I sell my own collegiate gear on your page? Like, it seems like you, you have already people on here. And I was like, mm, I'm not ready to do that yet. Right now between school and everything I'm working on, that's not going to work. So when the pandemic came and I had a little more time on my hands, it kind of took off. So now the MVP has proven the fact that people want to buy and sell their 
collegiate merchandise. There's over 250 schools represented on our Instagram MVP. So UF, that's the highest or the items which is most popular, items from the University of Florida, probably because I'm based in Florida, University of Miami. I've There's a couple of stuff that's sold from Boston College. So it's, it's kind of spreading. More and more people are finding out about it. And since March, we're now what, in January, I've raised a little over $20,000 from pitch competitions. So the word is getting around. Um, I'm hoping that once once it launches, um, to kind of stay focused on some of the schools that are better selling. So UF, uh, my research has also shown uh, schools that have uh, better athletics. Uh, the gear tends to sell a little bit faster. So yeah, and that's where, where it is today. I hope to continue working on it. So I'll be graduating now in, in May. Um, but my hope is to continue working on it after I graduate. Maybe not full time, but also here at Watson, I'm working. That's what I'm here for, to continue developing this social entrepreneurial venture and see by the time May comes, how much I've, I'm able to get done. Good luck. I am, I am amazed by you. You have done so much. <laughs> okay, now it is time for the rapid fire question wrap. I will ask you a series of questions and you will answer them as fast as you can. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. What is your favorite app? Poshmark. What type of environment do you like to work in? Hot environments. <laughs> Coffee or tea? Tea. Describe yourself in a hashtag. Hashtag determined. What do you do to de-stress? Design. What are three things you can't live without? My phone, my laptop, and my calculator. <laughs> what is the best compliment you have ever received? Oh, best compliment. Um, the way that I think is unique. Ooh. What is your favorite hobby? Your hobby. Going to the beach. And what is your favorite state? State? Florida. <laughs> of course. <laughs> She's been everywhere, but nothing matches up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. And then lastly, we have one more question that we ask all of our guests. Standing where you are now, what advice would you give to your high school self? So looking back, I think I like generally looking back at my time in middle school and high school, I'm a, I'm a younger self. It's always been don't let anyone tell you that you can't pursue something like there is going. And it's not to say that engineering is going to be all rainbows and butterflies and it's going to be easier or anything in STEM. But it's really important to note that even though you're going to face some of these trying times, it's really important to persevere. And just because, because you come across maybe one bump, there should be no one to tell you that, oh, you're not smart enough to pursue this or maybe you need to pursue something else. I think in high school, I definitely came across a couple couple folks who'd be like, oh, maybe uh, you're more inclined to do something like this. But had I listened to some of these individuals, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I'm a big believer in no one can dictate your life other than yourself. So, if, I mean, if you decide that you want to uh, pursue something in a different area, go do that. But don't let that be influenced by someone else's decision or some the way someone else perceives you to be. And then some other general advice is apply to everything. I heard in a podcast once, you don't want to do someone else's job for them. So let's say it's someone's job to review if you're eligible for a scholarship or for a program. You don't want to count yourself out by not applying. Let them tell you that you're not eligible because you never know. 
you may think, oh, your GPA is not high enough. I don't have that 3.5. Let's say you have a 3.2. But without applying, the answer is no. When you apply, the answer could be yes. You could get in and look at that. Had you not applied, that opportunity wouldn't have even been there. So that's a another life tip, another some other advice I would have told my my younger self. Those are both great. Thank you so much. And thank you for coming on the podcast today. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Of course. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. On behalf of STEM Blazers, um, we want to thank you for joining us today. And thank you to our listeners for joining us on this episode of the STEM Blazers podcast. Next week, we will be speaking with a new professional. To learn more about STEM Blazers, to donate or to get involved, please visit us at stemblazers.org or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at STEM Blazers.